Good morning. Lacey asked me this morning, uh, do you ever get nervous? And I said, or, um, whenever you hear that it's the final hymn that we'll be singing is when you really start to hear your heartbeat, your hands start shaking a little bit. So um, last time I spoke, I was speaking on repentance from Ezekiel chapter 8. And I was very pressed for time, and Lacey said to me, you know, I'm sure we'd love to hear more of you. And so I've uh, prepared um, about an hour and a half sermon, so uh, lunch will be provided. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. But uh, if you would turn to Second Chronicles um, chapter 7, we will be continuing our thought this morning on repentance. Um, and later on, we will be in Ezekiel chapter 9. Justin came up to me after last time I spoke, and he said, Nick, you're looking at a uh, four or five part series. And uh, I have this terrible habit of trying to shove everything I can in 45 minutes, and uh, it's, it's really bad habit. So hopefully, I don't know uh, how many more of these I can come up with, but um, hopefully uh, we'll get through this together. But in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 7, uh, what we've been looking at in Ezekiel is uh, the glory of the Lord uh, leaving the temple. Um, and we're going to be looking at, at a vision given to Ezekiel. And um, one thing we opened up with last time was uh, we looked at a covenant that was made by the children of Israel and God. Um, basically, the, the, the covenant was that if the children of Israel were to, uh, to live in obedience, the Lord would bless them exceedingly. Um, to be specific, I would love to go back and read all of it, but uh, we're going to try and limit the reading we have this morning. But to be specific, the Lord promised that if they were to live in obedience um, to him, they would receive peace. Um, they would receive victory, so much so to the point where uh, 10 men would be able to chase away an army of 100 men. I mean, uh, the Lord promised victory uh, abundantly, really. Uh, this, uh, the other thing he promised was satisfaction. Uh, he promised that anything they would plant would grow, and it would grow to the point where uh, there would be so much harvest that really they couldn't handle all of it. Uh, it, it would be a time of, of, mu of much satisfaction. Uh, but the thing we really focused on was that the Lord promised to dwell amongst his people. Um, it's an amazing thing that the Lord would desire to dwell amongst his people, um, and, and he desires to dwell with us here as well. On the flip side, if the children of Israel were to disobey, the Lord promised to bring curses upon the people. It's, this is what we like to call a conditional covenant. Uh, it's a promise made between two people that if uh, both sides were to meet um, under the conditions, then you know the covenant would be fulfilled. But he promised to bring upon the people disease, sickness, death, um, he promised to, to, to bring defeat upon the people. Um, the people would not be able to enjoy their harvest, not in the sense that it wouldn't grow, but in the sense that by the time it was able to harvest, uh, their enemies would come and take all of it away. Um, and then he promised that there would be a constant fleeing. Um, if you were to read in Leviticus chapter 26, it says that when they heard the, the leaves shaking as the wind would brush through the trees, they'd run away from it. It was a time of uh, very big uncertainty. Um, and, the, and, and finally, the Lord promised to walk contrary to his people. And, and he says that three different times in Leviticus chapter 26. What a fearful thought that is. But if you look at uh, Exodus chapter 24, which you don't have to turn there, it says in Exodus chapter 24 and verse 3, all the words which the Lord has said we will do. And so the children of Israel make this covenant between the Lord, thinking that they would be able to live in complete obedience to him. Uh, here we are in Second Chronicles chapter 7. Um, I would like to reach uh, chapter 6. Uh, here you see um, Solomon dedicating the, chapel, uh, sorry, the temple to the Lord. Um, and if you were to read 
Second Chronicles chapter 6, it's the longest prayer recorded in the Bible. Uh, Solomon, uh, he prays uh, for, for, for countless things, uh, specifically since we don't have time to, to look at it. Um, he prays basically, and it's, it's all summed up in verse 21. Uh, Solomon pray, prays that the Lord would hear the prayers of his people and would um, forgive uh, he goes into all the specifics of if someone breaks an oath that he made before the Lord, that he would hear the prayer of, of, of repentance and that the Lord would forgive them. Uh, he prays for rain. If, if, there was, if there was a drought caused by sin, he prays for rain after the people would repent. And he goes on and on um, to, to pray about all these things. Uh, but what we're going to look at is Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 12. Uh, we're just trying to build a foundation really for us. There's so many covenants made between the people of, of, of Israel and, and, and the Lord, but this is just one of them. In uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 12, it says, And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night, this is after Solomon prayed, um, and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people... If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their land and will hear, uh, forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open and my ears attend uh, unto the prayer that is made in this place. Um, here, really, you see a recipe for revival, and that's what we'll be looking at this morning. If you were to look at Revival throughout the Bible, you would see that one thing that almost always occurs before there is revival is there is repentance. And uh, something that we've been praying for, for years now is revival. But interestingly enough, repentance is something that you don't see in the church today. And I, I think we've, we've gotten into this mindset that there's no longer a need to repent, uh, which is what we'll look at this morning. Um, this morning, you will be hearing quite a few quotes from Bill McDonald. Uh, I try my best to stay away from the commentaries. I feel as if it's cheating, but it's kind of hard when you have someone like Bill McDonald. But in thank you, in the um, commentator, commentary, um, he says, there, there's this note from J. Barton Payne, and he says, this great verse, best known in all chronicles, expresses, as does in no other scripture, God's requirements for national blessing, whether in Solomon's land, in Ezra's, or in our own. Those who believe must forsake their sins, turn from the life that is centered on self, and yield to God's word and will. Then, and only then, will heaven send revival. And so here the Lord promises that if they were to, to stray away, um, to stray away, and if they were to turn back to him, repent of their sin, um, that the Lord would promise to hear from heaven, to forgive their sin, and to heal their land, um, something that we desire to see um, today. Uh, in chapter, uh, I'm sorry, in verse 16, we'll continue reading through the end of the chapter. It says, For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever, and mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. And as for thee, if thou wilt walk before me as David thy father walked, and do according to, to all that I have commanded thee, and shalt observe my statutes and my judgments, then will I establish the throne of thy kingdom according as I have covenanted um, with David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man to be a ruler in Israel. But if ye turn away and forsake my statutes and, and my commandments, which I have set before you, and shall go and serve other gods and worship them, then will I pluck them up by the roots out of my land, which I have given them. And this house which I have sanctified for my name will I cast out of my sight, 
and will make it to be a proverb and a, and a byword among all nations. And this house which is high shall be an astonishment to everyone that passeth by it, so that he shall say, Why hath the Lord done this unto this land and unto this house? And it shall be answered, Because they forsook the Lord, um, because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, and laid hold on other gods, and worshipped them, and served them. Therefore hath he brought all this evil upon them. The Lord gave a clear warning to um, the people. This is, this is um, another conditional, conditional covenant made. Uh, you see that in verse 16. He says, for now I have chosen and sanctified this house. Um, the Lord promised that if they were to live in obedience, that he would dwell among them. But if they didn't, then he would leave. Um, and something that I, that I found interesting while I was reading, and, and it really encouraged me, um, is that there isn't one time in the Bible recorded where the Lord pours out his judgment on his people without first warning them. Um, and we see that because he gives the people a warning here, because he makes a promise between them, uh, he is just in his judgment, which we are about to see. But uh, he never calls man to judgment without first warning him. Um, what a beautiful thing that is. But if you would turn to Ezekiel chapter 9. Ezekiel chapter 9. Um, once again, this is a, a vision given to Ezekiel. Um, Basically, um, he, he, the, the people here are involved in idolatry, which we'll, which we'll re- review again in a second. Um, and and in, this, in this vision, it's four chapters long, which is why, you know, it's kind of a three or four part series. But uh, we see, for lack of a better word, in each, in each uh, chapter, we see a phase in the uh, vision. The first one, which we'll go over in a second, we see the idolatry of the people. Uh, the second phase, which is chapter 9, we see the Lord pour out judgment upon his people because of the idolatry. Um, in chapter 10, we start to see the Lord slowly begin to leave the temple. And then in chapter 4, we see the glory of the Lord completely leaves the city. Uh, it's actually interesting, if you were to look at this vision, you'd see that the glory of the Lord takes four steps. Four steps to leave the temple. And it's almost as if he doesn't, he doesn't want to leave. He wants to stay, but he's slowly departing because his people just do not... Uh, desire for him to really be there. Um, uh, but we're going to look at this and we're going to try and apply this to ourselves in a very careful way. And we know that we can do that because in uh, Romans chapter 15 and verse 4 it says, whatever things were written before were written for our learning. Um, and, and as we look at the temple um, and the glory of the Lord leaving it, oh, I would like to keep uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16 in the back of our minds. Uh, we know that three times Paul refers to us as the temple of the Lord. And this is just one of them. But it says, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So just try and keep that in the back of your mind. But as we went over last time in in, uh, May, I believe it was, we looked at the abominations of the people. Um, And and in this vision, you see that three different groups were uh, caught in the sense um, of worshiping idols, caught in idolatry. And three different groups of people were were mentioned, the first one being the elders of the city. And as as the Lord takes Ezekiel on kind of a behind-the-scenes look, we see that as he looks at each group, he gets closer and closer to the temple. The first one he looks at is the elders of the city, um, and that is just outside the door of the court. And they are found... Uh, worshiping writing image, uh, written images on the wall. Um, and one thing we pointed out is that this was a big practice of um, the Egyptians, Babylonians, um, and Canaanites, which you know we'll, we'll look at again in a second. Uh, the second group was the women, and uh, they were caught um, 
uh, weeping over Tammuz. And there they, they were found at the door of the gate of the Lord's house. So as we see, we get closer and closer to the temple. Um, but we, we pose the question, well, who is Tammuz? Uh, Tammuz was a Sumerian god. Um, he was, to the Sumerians, the god of spring. And he was in charge of, of basically every blessing that came from uh, the springtime was of Tammuz. Um, and it was a tradition for the people that once spring has, had ended, Tammuz would supposedly die and everyone would weep because spring was over and Tammuz had, had passed away. But then at the end of winter, Tammuz would make this glorious resurrection. People would rejoice. And so we see that the women could have been weeping because it was the end of spring. Um, but if you were to study Tammuz, you'd actually find that he was the uh, god of fertility as well. Um, and so perhaps they were weeping because they, were, they had barren wombs. They weren't able to have children. Um, but the, the part that I wanted to point out to that, and I kind of, by the time I got to the application phase, I had run out of time, so I didn't really, I wasn't able to do it. But um, we see that the, the people were infected from the idolatrous practice of all the nations around them. And I just think that's a picture to us of how the things of this world are creeping in in every direction. Uh, you see it in our homes. Um, you, see it, you see it in the church. And it's just a sad thing. But um, also something that we can take from the women is that uh, they were so infected with the idolatry that they carried all their anxieties to, the, to these lords. You, you see that their heart was, was, uh, was filled with the idolatry. Here they are weeping over a God who doesn't exist. Um, in fact, in this vision, you see countless times that the Lord says, and they shall know that I am their, their Lord. Uh, they had forgotten who he was. Um, and then finally, I, I don't want to take too much time reviewing, but uh, we see inside the temples, we see the third group of people, the priests. And perhaps this is the most heartbreaking part of all. And we know that the priests, they had special duties before the Lord. They had to um, offer up offerings to the Lord on behalf of the people. But we see that instead of offering up sacrifices to the Lord, they had turned their backs to God and was worshiping the sun as it was going down. And we are marveling at the fact that here they are in the very house where the creator of all things was living, and yet here they are worshiping a mere image of, of, of uh, creation. So uh, we just see how far they had fallen from the Lord. Uh, well, anyways, uh, we're, we're in Ezekiel chapter 9, and here we see the Lord beginning to pour out his judgment upon the people. We see, uh, we, we read that there was a, there's a conditional covenant the Lord had held up his end of the bargain. The people didn't. And so here we see the judgment begin to be poured out. Um, so we'll go ahead and we'll just read the entire thing, uh, the entire uh, chapter 9. And then uh, we'll just, we'll just uh, add some comments on from there. But in Ezekiel uh, chapter 9, he, uh, it says in verse 1, He cried also in mine ears with a loud voice, saying, Cause them that have charge over the city to draw near. Even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand, and behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north, and every man's slaughter weapon in his hand. And one man among them was clothed with linen, with a writer's inkhorn by his side, and they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. And the glory, the glory of the, the God of Israel was gone up from the, from, from the cherub, whereupon he was to the threshold of the house, and he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the writer's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And to the others he said in mine hearing, Go ye after him through the city and smite. Let not, let not your eyes spare, neither have ye pity. 
um, slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women, and come not near any man upon whom is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. Uh, then they began at the ancient. Uh, then they began at the ancient men which were before the house. And he said unto them, Defile the house and fill the courts with the slain. Go ye forth. And they went forth and slew in the city. And it came to pass while they were slaying them, um, and I was left that I fell upon my face and cried and said, Ah, oh, Lord God, wilt thou destroy, um, wilt thou destroy all the residue of, of Israel in thy pouring out of thy fury upon Jerusalem? Then said he unto me, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceedingly great, and the land is full of blood, and the city full of perverseness. For they say, The Lord hath forsaken the earth, and the Lord seeth not. But as for, uh, but, but as for me also, mine eye shall not spare, neither will I have pity, but I will recompense their way upon their head. And behold, the man clothed with linen, um, which had the inkhorn by his, side, by his side, reported the matter, saying, I have done as thou hast commanded me. And so we, we see that the, the judgment is beginning to be poured out upon the people. The Lord calls, um, calls every man to, to come um, uh, with, a, with, a, with a weapon in his hand, and we see that seven men come forth. Um, uh, a question you can ask, well, well who are these seven men? And, th and there's uh, much speculation on who these people are. Um, King James um, kind of um, uh, translate a, a word slightly off. Um, he, he translates the word as executioners, um, these seven men as executioners. But really, in the original text, it actually suggests guards. And because, because of that word, some people believe that these were angelic um, beings um, posted by God around the city. Uh, we don't really know. Some people believe they were the elders of the city, um, and some people believe that they were some of the priests of the city, um, and that is because one of them was clothed in linen. And in fact, if you were to look at uh, the Day of Atonement in Leviticus chapter 16, as the high priest would go into the holiest of holies, one thing that you'd see him wearing is linen. And so um, I'll let you look at that by yourself and, and see you know, uh, what you think. Uh, but these seven men, men come forward. And in verse 3, you see that the glory of the Lord starts to move within the temple. Uh, this, is one of, this is one of the steps taken by the Lord. He moves from the holiest of holies to uh, the threshold. And I believe the threshold is the door. Um, perhaps I'm wrong. Someone can correct me later. But uh, he moves to just the, the, door, the door of the temple. And, and as, he, as he's moving, he turns to these seven men and instructs them. Um, sorry. Uh, he instructs them uh, to go out in the city and to mark those who were not, um, who were not involved in the um, idolatry. Um, and, and once again, Bill McDonald says, um, just, just pointing out that there were some people in the city that were not involved in the idolatry. Um, and you see this, this terrible time where, where almost everyone is there um, worshiping the gods of the people around them. But Bill McDonald said uh, concerning these people, it says, this should challenge us. Uh, how do we react if some do not follow the Lord? Do we join them? Will they influence us? Do we justify them? Do we show indifference? These faithful men and women sighed and cried. This reaction showed what was in their heart and kept them from judgment. Um, we know that the Lord then instructs these men to go out to find these people who, who, who sighed and cried, who were literally heartbroken over the idolatries of the people, and, and to, to put a mark on their forehead and to um, take out anyone else. Um, and, and concerning the mark, we don't really know if, if, it, if it was something that they knew they had, if 
if it was a physical mark, we don't really know. Um, but one thing we do know, and I know this isn't necessarily pertaining to us, but uh, we can be sure that by the basis of the word of God, um, we too can be saved from the judgment of the Lord. Uh, we see that these people were so involved in the idolatry that they did not have the assurance that we can have today. Uh, that through the, through the cross and through the blood of our Lord Jesus, we can be free uh, of the judgment that will soon come. Um, and we see also one, one other thing is that um, all the people involved in the practice of idolatry were judged. It didn't matter how old they were, how young they were, what gender they were. We see that no man escaped the judgment of the Lord. Um, and and, and what, what a picture this is to us. We see in um, the last couple verses of the chapter, Ezekiel begins to plead with the Lord. Um, he sees all these people being slain before him, and it breaks his heart. Uh, he begins to plead with the Lord. Um, but despite the Lord, despite Ezekiel pleading with the Lord, it was too late. Um, and what a picture this is to us of how uh, we should be pleading with the people all around us to come to the Lord. Um, we see here that Ezekiel was in a position where he didn't have to worry about the judgment that was to follow. And we are in that same position as well. The Lord has given us a message to go out and to give all those uh, around us uh, the message that they too can be saved from the judgment that is to come. Um, and, and what a picture this is to us that one day we too will run out of time. Um, Ezekiel, when he was pleading with the Lord, it was already too late. Uh, the Lord decided to judge the people right then and there, and we too will run out of time. Uh, I was watching this video. Uh, there's, this, there's this man named Francis Chan, and he's a, uh, he's a, a pastor at, at some, some, some big church, and he had this, this, great, this great illustration that I really liked. He took this, this 100-foot um, uh, rope, and uh, I think he strung it to a door, even went outside the door and brought it to the stage. And on the, t on the other tip of the rope, he painted about six inches of it red. And he said, this six inches is what represents our lives and how concerned we are over these six inches. Uh, oftentimes, we really miss the big picture and we're so focused on the little six inches compared to 100 feet of all eternity. And yet we're worried about what, what happens is this little six inches of the rope. The fact being that, that our life uh, span is so small um, and yet here we are, we don't, we're wasting our lives basically away. Um, so are we, pleading, are we pleading with others around us? Um, uh, we, also see, um, we also see that there are three groups of people in, in this, in this uh, chapter. We see those who are corrupted by the idolatry. Uh, we see those who sigh and cry who are heartbroken over the things of this world. And then we finally see Ezekiel pleading, pleading with the Lord. So I would like to ask you, um, wh which group would you fit in? Um, are, are we pleading with those around us, or are we just staying calm? Or, 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 or worse, are we allowing the things of this world to get into our lives, um, as, as many of the, the children of Israel did? Um, so turn over to Ezekiel chapter 11. I, I know there, there's so much in these chapters, and um, we, could, we could take so long going through them. For the sake of time, we won't. Um, um, things we should, we should note about chapter 10, I'm not saying that chapter 10 isn't important. Um, chapter 10 kind of goes into detail specifically of how the cherubims would, would move the glory of the Lord. And um, it's a quite interesting thing for you to look at. If, if you were to study Ezekiel and you see in Ezekiel 1 um, a vision given by Ezekiel of the cherubims and so forth, uh, you'd have to look at uh, chapter 10 as well. It's, 
uh, a very in-depth study, but in uh, chapter 11, we see um, the Lord, um, he, he pours out his judgment on the rulers of the city, and then he promises to restore the people. Um, in chapter 10, which we won't look at, but just, just for um, your, your personal uh, to look at, but in uh, chapter 10 and verse 4, we see the glory of the Lord move from the threshold of the temple to above the threshold. And so he moves up. And then in uh, chapter 10 and verse 19, we see the Lord move um, to the eastern gate, just outside the temple. Once again, we see the, we see the glory of the Lord slowly leaving. Um, it's almost as if he, 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 didn't, want, he didn't want to leave. Um, what a thing that is. Um, but we can begin our reading in Ezekiel chapter 11. And we will start in verse uh, 13. Um, it says, And it came to pass when I prophesied that Pelatiah the son of Benaniah died. Then fell I down upon my face and cried with a loud voice and said, All Lord God, wilt thou make a full end of the remnant of Israel? Um, so here, here we see um, in the, the verses prior to this, the Lord was pouring out his judgment upon the rulers of the city. Um, and, and, and in so doing, we see uh, one of the, uh, the rulers uh, fall down and die. And we see that Ezekiel here is heartbroken over the matter, and he begins to plead with the Lord yet again. Uh, what a beautiful uh, picture that is to us of, of what we should be doing. We should be continually pleading with those around us. Um, uh, but in verse 14, it says, Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, thy brethren, even thy brethren, the men of thy kindred, and all the house of Israel, holy are they. Um, unto whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, Get you far from the Lord, give unto us this land um, given in possession. Um, therefore say, Thus saith the Lord God, although I have cast them afar off uh, among the heathen, and although I have scattered them among the countries, yet will I be to them as a little sanctuary in the countries where they shall come. Therefore say, Thus saith the Lord God, I will even gather you from the people and assemble you out of the countries uh, where ye have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. They shall come thither, uh, thither, and they shall take away all the detestable things thereof, and all the abominations thereof from thence. And I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will make you, and I will take the stony heart out of their flesh, and will give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. But as for them whose heart walketh after the things of their detestable things and their abominations, I will recompense their way upon their own heads, saith the Lord God. Um, uh, let's see, sorry, getting kind of lost in my notes. Okay, so, so in the, um, the previous verses, as the Lord is pouring out judgment upon the people, um, the Lord tells, tells the rulers, basically, uh, you feared the sword coming upon you. Well, because of your sin, um, the sword is going to come upon you. And we, we know that that eventually happened. The Babylonians would eventually come and take over the place. Uh, we know that later on they'd be under captivity of the Romans. And in this time, they would be scattered throughout all the land. And um, the Lord promises that he would be a sanctuary to those who were, who were spread out um, and that he would regather them to the land of Israel. Uh, but the real hope for the exiles is found in the promise of the Lord um, that the Lord would provide for them a new heart and a new spirit. Uh, we see that, that the idolatry in the, hearts, in the hearts of the Israelites was so great that their hearts were literally turned to stone. Um, and, and we know that Pharaoh had that same problem, and so many people have that same problem today. 
Uh, but one thing that's interesting to note is that the Lord didn't promise to, to fix their hearts or to repair their hearts. He promised to replace them. Um, their hearts were, were so corrupted that they were beyond repair. Uh, and what, what a sad thought that is and how far away uh, his people had, had fallen from him. Um, and, and there's so much, I, I don't want to throw it all at you, but um, he says, he says um, I shall be their, their God and they shall be my people. Once again, all the Lord desired was to have a personal relationship with his people. Um, and, and we know that, that although he was present in, in the temple, although he was present amongst his people, he did not have that relationship that he, that he desired to have. And so the question we have for ourselves is, although the Lord desires to have that relationship with us, are we giving him the opportunity? Um, or, or are we too pushing him out of our lives? Um, we see that the Israelites, they... They, they pushed the Lord aside and brought in these idols, brought in, brought in all these things of the people all around them, and it got to a point where they just didn't have space uh, for the Lord in their lives. Um, Jefferson Bethke, um, he, he, he has a quote, and I'm sure many others have, have used it as well, but he says, if he isn't Lord of all, then he isn't Lord at all. Uh, and the fact is, I think so many believers today are trying to, 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 to merely fit the Lord into their lives. Um, we, we put so many things before the Lord. For example, me, uh, this is a problem for me. I, I love sports. Um, I don't consider soccer a sport, but I, I do love, love American football. I, I, love, I love baseball and basketball. I, I need my doyers. Um, and I, I love watching the Lakers. And for some reason, I love watching the Cowboys. Don't ask me why. But, um, and how, how often do we find ourselves putting all these things that we love before the Lord? And, and Mr. Dixon had, the, had this great illustration up at boys camp, and I, and I really do appreciate it. Uh, he, took a, he took a bag of rice and a whole bag of ping pongs, and he had this big jar. And uh, the ping pong balls represented um, the things that we do for the Lord. And you, you know how big those things are. They're like that big, and the, the little grains of rice represent the things that, that we do for ourselves. And he started out by pouring the rice in first, um, and then he eventually... Um, Put in the ping pong balls, and, and we know that when he put it in, um, there wasn't enough room for all the ping pong balls. Uh, the ping pong balls were flying all over the place. And then he, he picked up all the ping pong balls, poured the rice out, and what he did was he then poured the ping pong balls inside the jar and then threw the grains of rice in. And we see that it fits beautifully. And, and he, he used that as, a, as an illustration that if we place the Lord first in our lives, then he knows the desires of our heart. And um, and I love, I love that verse in, in Psalms where he says, um, what is that verse? Um, you know that one verse in Psalms. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, there it is. There it is. Uh, he knows the desires of our heart. And, and, it, and if we're seeking him, um, it's only a matter of time before he becomes a desire of our heart. And, and what a beautiful thing it is that the Lord desires to shower himself into us. Um, the thing is, he desires to bless us. All we have to do is go out and ask for more blessing. And we see that the children of Israel were not doing that. Um, they would continually fall into sin. And, uh, and remember, me and Robert had a conversation coming home from work one time. We were stuck in traffic, and uh, we were talking about the children of Israel. And I said, I, I can't believe that the children of Israel never learned their lesson. They, they fell into this terrible, this terrible cycle that they'd, they'd enjoy the fellowship of the Lord. Um, and then they'd fall into idolatry. The Lord would then bring them into captivity of someone else. 
years after that, they'd finally cry out to the Lord, the Lord would save them, and then it was only a matter of time before the whole thing started over again. And I said that, and Robert brought me down, and he said, yes, but how often do we find ourselves falling into that, into that, same, that same mindset, that same sin? Um, the fact is that, that so many people are not taking their sin seriously um, as the Lord does. Uh, but we'll finish up our reading in uh, verse 22. Um, verse 22, it says, Then did the cherubims lift up their wings, and the wheels beside them, and the glory of the God of Israel was over them above. And the glory of the Lord went up, went up uh, from the midst of the city and stood, up, uh, stood upon the mountain, which is on the east side of the city. Afterwards, the Spirit took me up and brought me in, in uh, a vision by the Spirit of God into Chaldea to them, of the captivity. So the vision that I had seen went up from me. Then I spake unto them of the captivity, all the things that the Lord had showed me. Um, and, and here we see the glory of the Lord uh, move from the east gate to the east mountain. He's completely outside of the city. And for, for months I was, I was trying to find a correlation between the glory of the Lord resting on the east, east side mountain, which is the Mount of Olives, and below that we know is the Garden of Gethsemane, which is where the Lord Jesus spent most, of, very much of his time. And so I was wondering, you know, trying to find a correlation between that. Uh, but luckily Stephen Kia came and he said, it's almost as if as the glory of the Lord is on the east side of the mountain, it's almost as if he looks back at the, 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 the city. And we know that the Lord Jesus did that same very thing in uh, Luke chapter 19. In verse 41 it says, and when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. Uh, we see here that, that the people of God did not acknowledge the Lord for who he was. Um, they, they filled their hearts with idolatry, and the Lord would eventually leave. And he, he takes one last look back, and it's heartbreaking. And the, and the same thing happened to the Lord Jesus. They, they did not accept him as the Messiah. Um, it, it's, it's, it's truly an amazing thing that the Lord would desire to have fellowship with us. The God who created all the universe would desire to have a special relationship with us, and yet we see that how often we don't give, them, give him that opportunity. Um, if he isn't Lord of all, he isn't Lord at all. Um, just quickly re review everything that we went over. Um, we, we, we saw all of the terrible things that the children of Israel were involved in, all the terrible acts of idolatry, um, and we see the Lord judge them because of it. One thing I'd like to point out to you is how serious the Lord took their sin um, and how serious uh, he took the covenant that he made between them. Um, the people of God did not take it seriously, and it was so bad that the Lord poured out his judgment upon them and eventually had to leave. Um, and I think so many believers today are living with this mentality that, 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 that we're basically untouchable. The Lord has come down. He's died for us. We have fellowship. He's our Savior. Amen. Praise the Lord. And yet we go out and we, we live our lives in sin, and, and we don't take our sin seriously. Um, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Um, and, and, and the Lord took the sin of his people so seriously that he eventually had to leave. Um, and, and we, I was going to look at these verses, but we don't, we don't necessarily have time. But we, we know that our sin can affect our prayer life. We see that in First Peter. Um, our prayers can be hindered because of, of sin that is in our life. Um, our worship to God can be hindered. Uh, we know that through, throughout all of history of um, Israel, the people would offer up uh, sacrifices to the Lord, but he did not want them. Uh, they're blemished sacrifices. Um, and finally, the sin in our life can affect our testimony. 
And we see that Ezekiel, as he was pleading with the Lord, we know that he was not involved in the acts of idolatry because uh, the Lord would not have used him really if he was. Uh, and we see that because of his testimony, he was in a position where he was able to plead with the Lord. And the fact being that if our testimony is shattered amongst the world, how can we expect the world to want what we have when we're living the same exact life as they are? Um, and, and so I'll leave you with the question, um, are we taking the sin in our lives seriously? Uh, are we living, in our li living our lives in a sense where we're living it for ourselves, we're fitting the Lord in here and there? Uh, we, we, we need to take our sin seriously. And let's just read that portion one more time in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 7. Uh, the, the act of, uh, the recipe of revival is what I like to call it. Uh, this is something that we, that we so desire to see. One last time we'll read it. Um, in verse 14 of uh, chapter 7 in Second Chronicles, it says, If my people which are called by not my name shall humble themselves, and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. The question is, are we seeking his face? Are we praying? Are we repenting of our sins? If we truly desire to have revival in our lives and in the church today, perhaps we need to take a step back and to, to examine our lives and to see if there's, there's anything in our life that could be hindering the, 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 the revival um, that could be happening. So is there any sin in your life that is hindering your life uh, in your walk with the Lord? And so with that, I know we're closing kind of a couple minutes early. I find myself struggling with um, time management. Um, you know, one week I have 20 minutes extra. The next week I have, I think I have so much and I rush it. And so um, I am learning. And so we'll just uh, close in prayer with that. Um, our dearly Father, Lord, we do Thank you for this opportunity that you've given us, Father, to open your word. Um, Father, uh, we see in your word that you desire to have a personal relationship with us. Um, you, you desire to bless us, Father, and, and oftentimes um, we are in the way of your blessing. Father, we, we desire to see a revival in our lives, uh, but Father, we would ask that you would show us any sin that is in our life that we may deal with it. Uh, Father, we, we know how seriously you take sin Father, we would ask that, that we too would take it seriously. Uh, Father, once again, we thank you that um, you are a God who loves us, that you are a God who desires to dwell amongst us. Father, we would ask that we would give you that opportunity uh, to, to, to be our Lord. Father, we would ask that you would be Lord of our entire lives. Father, that you would allow us to do that. And so, Father, we just commit the rest of the day to you and ask for your blessing upon it, Lord. And we just ask, Lord, that uh, we would be able to take these things to our heart, Lord. And we just ask this in your son's name. Amen.